If you have your Bibles, if you would take them and turn today to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be looking at the first four verses of 1 Peter 5 today. If you don't have a Bible, then please get one of the Bibles on the end of each pew. That black Bible is on page 1016, page 1016 there. And if you don't have a Bible for yourself at all, then please take that one home. It's our gift to you. And I do just want to say thank you so much to, uh, to Evan for jumping in and uh, delivering the message from God's Word in the worship service last week and for the others who... Uh, who stepped up to make sure that things came together. So uh, it's, it was one of those times. I was providentially hindered from gathering uh, in worship last week. It just became, as, as we were out at Matawan Day on Saturday, as time went on, I just started to realize I'm not going to make it all the way to 5 o'clock, and I'm not sure I'm going to make it to church tomorrow. Uh, but, uh, but God had had already uh, used Evan to put together that sermon through our preaching class that we did uh, back uh, in June, as I think is when he prepared that. And so, uh, so just thank you, Evan, wherever he is. Um, and, uh, uh, and thank you to those who were able to do that. And I'm feeling much better. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, so we're in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4 today. So let's read that together. It says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, why are we reading this? Why aren't we in Romans? Well, uh, today after church, we're going to have our second town hall meeting to discuss the, uh, the updated version of the proposed revised church constitution and bylaws. And uh, just as a reminder, why are we going through all this? The, re- the, the reason for all of this effort is to make it possible for you, the congregation, to appoint laymen to serve alongside me as fellow elders. So at this point, I'm the only elder of this church, and we're praying by God's grace that he would align us to what the scriptures say in passages like this one, uh, to be able to appoint those that God would raise up and make it clear that they ought to be in this position to help shepherd the flock of God. That's the idea here. And so that's why uh, for a second sermon in a row that, um, that I'm away from the book of Romans is just because a couple things that we could think about together and worship God through this passage of Scripture today. Um, so what I want to do here is I, I want us to see what the Scripture says and to use this as a reminder of some things that are kind of hard, I think, sometimes to keep all together in your head, especially after it's been a few months since we did a sermon series on this, uh, to, to say, well, what, what does the Bible, just in a basic overview sense, say about the order of the leadership of a church, especially in terms of those that he would have, as it says here, as elders, the elders among you uh, who are to shepherd and oversee God's flock. So that's why we're here. But I just want to remind you that ultimately uh, Jesus is our shepherd. We're going to see this, and I'm going to tell you at the end, but it says in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears... And just to remind you, uh, Jesus is your pastor above all else. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Pastor is another word for shepherd. And it says here, look, Jesus is the one who has come. He has sought and saved the lost. The reason that we've been brought into God's kingdom, into God's flock, is because Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. And those that he would lay his life down for, he speaks, and the sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. And guys, if you've, if you've come to Christ, this is why you're here, is because Jesus laid down his life for you. And in the gospel that he's spoken, and he woke up your heart by his spirit to hear him and to follow after him, and he is your shepherd, and he is your good shepherd. And in his providence, as he was, was about to uh, go away, as he was about, has ridden, risen from the dead and was about to ascend into heaven uh, and, and, and say that he would come back for his sheep one day, you know what he did is he, he turned to Peter 
And he said, do you love me? And, and Peter said, yes. Well, well Jesus, he did this three times. And Jesus says, these three times, if you love me, well, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And so starting with Peter and the apostles, Jesus set up this pattern that part of the way that Jesus has ordained that he's going to shepherd his sheep is through other sheep. Some of the sheep that, that he, by his uh, design, would put in a position to help look after the flock of God. And so this is for our good as we're following after the great good shepherd, Jesus now, you may remember a while back when I preached a series on, on biblical church order, I gave the illustration of an architect's plan for a new home. If you were going to build a house, if God put you in a position to be able to do that, and you had the plans all laid out, and you, you know, you're going to be the owner, and you got together with the architect, and you got it all figured out, this is exactly how my new house is going to be. What then if the builders got together and said, well, we think this house would be better if we took out one of the bathrooms so that we could have more space to add an extra bedroom? Because, boy, doesn't it sound impressive when you have that higher bedroom number? Well, would the owners be pleased with that? Would the architect be pleased with that? Nobody would be pleased with that except the guys who were there doing the building and saying, we think this is a better design. We think this works better. Guys, our task in what we do in ordering a church is not to say, okay, well, here's how we think things will run better. Here is how we think that it ought to go. Our task is to say, what is it that God says? What is God's design? What is God's plan? And the fact is, that God has given us plans. He hasn't been silent about these things, in particular about the idea that he wants his congregations of his saints to be overseen and shepherded by elders. It would be a lot easier to ignore God's words about these things. It would be a lot easier to keep the status quo, as most churches do. And in fact, as we've been going through these plans, you, you would be surprised how many pastors will say to me something like, you know what, I see that in the Bible too. I, I know kind of in the back of my head that we need to do that too, but man, I just don't know how we're going to do that, right? Because it's a lot easier not to do it. <laughs> it would be a lot easier not to go through these things. It, it would be a lot easier to say, well, this is not the most important thing in the world, so let's just leave it alone. And the fact is, it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is the gospel, right? The, the gospel, this precious good news that we're all here for, that man is sinner, man is, man is sinful, and, and, and that God is our judge, but that God has made the way of salvation in the, purpose of, in the person of Jesus Christ, who came and died for sinners and rose from the dead, and that we can have salvation and an eternal life in Jesus Christ by faith alone. All right? so, so we have the gospel that's the diamond. That's the whole point of why we're here. God's also set it up to where he wants the gospel presented and held by the church. Right? So you can think of the gospel as the diamond and the church as the ring with the setting for the diamond. Now, if the ring is bent out of shape, if it's not the way that it's supposed to be, is, is, is that going to change what the diamond is? No, it's not. So the, the diamond, the gospel, is the more important thing. And yet, if we look and we see, hey, wait, this setting of it is not as the designer says that it ought to be, well, we should take that seriously. And at a most basic level, if God has given us commands about th anything, we should look at those commands. We should take them seriously. We should submit to those commands. Where God has spoken, our call is to listen and to obey. And God has told us about these things, and he's told us about them for our good and for his glory. So let's look at the passage here. First Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. 
Wow, there's some beautiful things here about just reflecting on Peter's own life. He had been a witness of the transfiguration. He had seen the glory of Christ revealed in that shining light on the mountain. And he's saying, we believers are going to partake in that hidden glory of Christ out in the open one day when he returns. And he was also someone who was an eyewitness to the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. And he knew that Jesus had risen from the dead, and Jesus had commissioned Peter to be, as he puts it here, a fellow elder. And you see that happening immediately after Jesus rose from the dead and sent the Holy Spirit in the early chapters of the book of Acts that Peter was functioning, not just as an apostle, but as an elder in the local church at Jerusalem there. And Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. Now, what does that mean, the elders among you? Well, what it means, for one thing, is that it's expected that among you there will be elders, and not just one, but multiple elders among you. Let's think about this. If you, if you haven't already flipped over to the back of your bulletin to see the outline that's there, this is a good time to do that, to kind of follow along, because I'm going to go to a, uh, so some other scriptures besides this one that are very important for us to keep track of what this is talking about when he says fellow elders, uh, or when he, when he says the elders among you. One of the things to know is that these elders among you are one of two biblical church offices. All right. What do we mean by biblical church offices? It means the offices of the church that are established in the Bible. In our statement of faith, the 1853 New Hampshire Confession of Faith, uh, which this church adopted first in 1856, it says pretty plainly that we, we accept that in the scriptures that there are only two kinds of officers that the Bible has set up, and those are, as it, as it says in our statement of faith, bishops or pastors, and deacons. So why does it say bishops and pastors? I'll get to that in a second. But elders are bishops, elders are pastors, elders are overseers, elders are leaders, and this is one of the two biblical offices together with deacons. One place you see this is in Philippians 1.1, where Paul says that he's writing there in the, the letter to the Philippians to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. You see that? You've got there all the saints, that's all the church members, and then who is it that are their officers? The overseers and the deacons. The overseers is another word for the elders. It's got the qualifications for these two offices listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well. Qualifications for overseers and qualifications for deacons without any other offices listed there with qualifications for them. So it's one of two biblical church offices. Another thing that the elders among you are is those who are charged with shepherding and leading the church. You see this in verse 2 where he says, To the elders, shepherd the flock of God. Another word for shepherd is pastor. You think of how a, a shepherd would take his sheep out into the pasture to be fed that's the picture here. That's where the word pastor comes from. It's another word for shepherd. This, this one who would lead the sheep out to feed on the green pastures that, uh, that God would give in the word. So shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then he says also in verse 2, exercising oversight. So here's, here's part of it also. An elder is a pastor and also an overseer. Or, as the word overseer is translated in the King James Version, bishop. All right? Now, that doesn't mean that he's supposed to take some kind of a pointy hat sort of a position and sit on a throne or something like that. It's just a, a, a different way of translating the word, but it means somebody who would oversee the church. These, these words are put together also in Acts chapter 20, where Paul gathers together the elders, plural, of the church, singular, of Ephesus, and he tells them about his own ministry and charges them how they are to carry out their ministry as elders. One of the things he says in Acts 20, 28 is, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among, whom, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he tells the elders that they are overseers, 
to shepherd the church of God. So they are shepherds, pastors as well, which he purchased with his own blood. So those words we see used interchangeably in the New Testament for the same office of the church, whether it's pastor slash shepherd or elder or overseer or leader, as it says in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, where it says to obey your leaders. All of those are words for the same biblical office, which we're just calling here elders. That's the idea here is that God has appointed certain men to be leaders within his church, to shepherd the flock of God, to exercise oversight and leadership. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. He heard my hint of a cry for help when he came. A servant's heart. Thank you. All right. So, question though. What about the priesthood of all believers? All right? Where does that idea come in? Uh, Well, it comes in because God has taken every believer from the moment that we first believe forward and has called us part of a kingdom of priests. Through Jesus Christ, every single believer has equal access to the throne of mercy, can come boldly before God, that there is no believer who has a better red telephone hotline to God than any other believer. We are a kingdom of priests. And also as a kingdom of priests, we're told this. This is back in 1 Peter as well in chapter 2, verse 5, that you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So part of what it means to be a kingdom of priests is that we're built up together to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, like stones built into a temple. And we are built up together to offer spiritual sacrifices that God intends us together to worship God and to honor and glorify God and that we can all do that and take part in that. Now, where this goes off track sometimes is the question of, well, does this therefore mean that every believer uh, is just as called of God as every other believer to be a leader of the church? Well, that's simply not the case. Uh, Now, God has also, another part of being a priesthood of believers, he's given the whole congregation what Jesus called the keys to the kingdom. Where, where we together are to take votes on things, and things in particular that, that God has said in the Scriptures need to be voted on, like receiving members, or that sad task of disciplining members, if that's necessary. Tasks like appointing officers, elders and deacons, or if necessary, removing or disciplining those officers. He's given those things, but does that mean that every believer as a priest, as, as part of the kingdom of priests, that every believer has the right in God's sight to set his own course, to decide his own, in, on his own what is right and what is wrong, that every believer has just as much of a right as every other believer to take hold of the steering wheel of the church and to set the direction of the church? Well, that would be anarchy. That would be disorder. That would be chaos. And if there's a thought like that, then the reality is that there are going to be those who rise up and take charge, but not those that God would say ought to do that. God has set forward spiritual qualifications for those who would be the leaders, the pastors, the elders, the overseers of the church. Now, in every, every place and every time where Christianity has ever spread, There have been Christians who have been tempted to think that they had a greater right to set the direction of the church than their fellow church members do for the wrong reasons. One, sometimes there are those who think that because they have been part of the church for longer than the other church members. There are some who think that because they have greater business skills than others in the church. There are some who think that because they have read more theology books than others in the church. There are some who think that because they give more money than others in the church. That's the sin of simony, thinking that giving money ought to entitle someone to set the direction of the church. 
or there's various other reasons for that. But guys, God doesn't set anyone higher in his sight than anyone else, but he does call churches to set some apart as leaders, as elders, and to follow the godly leadership of those leaders, like he says in Hebrews 13, 17. And he doesn't tell us to pick leaders based on worldly ideas about who should lead, about who's the best at winning friends and influencing people. He tells us that he has his own qualifications, that he's given us these qualifications, listed them out in his word, and that he has set up the sheep, or excuse me, set up shepherds to feed and to lead the sheep, to feed my lambs, to tend my sheep, to feed my sheep. I'm going to talk about those qualifications in just a second, but just to say that this is God's design, is that he has called out leaders, and he said that they need to be biblically qualified. Now, part of what we also see in the Scripture is the biblical norm of having multiple elders. Now, if it's the case that there's just one that doesn't necessarily make it a a bad church or a disobedient church or something like that, but where there's only one, we ought to be looking at the Scriptures and saying, hey, it's pretty consistent that you see in places like 1 Peter 5.1, I exhort the elders among you. And wait a second. Maybe we should pray that God would give us that, to have the elders among you. This is the biblical norm, whether it's in great big churches like the church in Jerusalem, where they had thousands and thousands of members that God gave from the day of Pentecost forward. And they had 12 elders to begin with who were the apostles. And they had uh, other elders who came in after that. And you would think to yourself, okay, well, of course, in a giant church like that, they're going to have organizational problems and they're going to have to have a bunch of guys doing that. But what about little bitty churches? What about little bitty churches like First Baptist Church of Matawan? Well, you have places like Titus 1.5 that speak to that, where Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul says to Titus, I came through Crete as a missionary, preaching the gospel, seeing people who had no concept of Jesus come to faith in Jesus, putting them together, organizing them into churches. Probably Paul had left them with instructions about what to look for in each other in terms of how God would qualify men by the Holy Spirit to be elders among them, to lead and to shepherd them. And then he sent Titus to go to every one of these little churches in each of the towns of Crete that had been established and to appoint, he says, elders. Not one elder, but elders in every town as I directed you. There, Just as a practical matter, you have James 5.14. You might be thinking to yourself, ugh, I just want to sleep through this sermon because this is not something about my personal walk with Jesus. It is about your personal walk with Jesus. I'll give you an example. James 5.14, is anyone among you sick? Have you ever been sick? Maybe you've been sick, but maybe you haven't been sick sick. Guys, one day you're going to get sick sick. And it says, is anyone among you sick? Here's Here's what's the command. Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him. You hear that? This is God's design for your soul and for your life, Christian. As as you get older, as you go through things, as you have hard circumstances, the Bible says, here is this for your good as you need to be shepherded and helped. Call for the elders of the church to pray over you. That's a good thing. That's a good thing, and it it, it just shows us too, hey, this is what's expected. This is part of God's design in the Bible. Now, does that mean that every one of these men who would be appointed as elders, does it mean that they would all do it as their jobs or or all take the same set of responsibilities and the same time commitment as each other? Well, the answer to that is no, and we know that because of verses like 1 Timothy 5.17 where it distinguishes some of the elders as those who labor in preaching and teaching, as opposed to others 
who do not labor in preaching and teaching. And does that mean that those who don't labor in preaching and teaching, that they're lazy and it's okay? You know, for, on, honor, the, honor the hardworking elders, but not the lazy elders. No, that's not what it's talking about. It, it's, it's, it's getting a point across that there are some, even as all of the elders, must be qualified and able to teach, able to deliver a sermon, at least from time to time, that there are going to be some who have it as their job. They labor in teaching and preaching. They have it as their vocation. And so it's not going to be expected that those who have it as their job are, are going to be doing um, only the amount of pastoring as those who don't have it as their job, or that those who don't have it as their job are going to be doing all of the same amount of responsibilities as those that do have it as their job, as, as their labor in life. So there's going to be a difference in the amount of responsibilities. There's going to be a difference in the kinds of gifting that God would give to each of the elders where some have certain strengths that make up for others' weaknesses and they're going to concentrate more on those areas of responsibility, whether it's counseling or administration or something else. But, but God is going, by his design, to, to appoint multiple men to do this where some have it as their job, Others don't have it as their job. Some are the primary preaching pastor, like Timothy in Ephesus or Peter in Jerusalem or James after Peter. And some are not on the platform quite as much as that. But God would have all of them to be together to lead and to shepherd his church. Another thing that we see in the Bible about elders is that they must be qualified by the Spirit. I mentioned a minute ago that it's not on worldly qualifications that we do these things. If we sat around and said, who is it that just rises to the top as, as the one who can command the attention of the room? Well, that might be somebody who's been qualified by the Spirit, or it might not. But God has given us spiritual qualifications. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm just going to read these to you. I preached on these a while back. It's somewhere in the sermon archive on the internet somewhere, but I'll just read these qualifications to you. It says that saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. You hear that? It's a good thing to desire that. That's all right. And he must desire that if he's going to do it. But it says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Let me also read you the qualifications as they're listed in 1 Timothy 5, where Paul says to Titus, appoint elders in every town as I directed. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are faithful and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, these lists that I just read you, they're mostly just lists of what every Christian ought to be in his heart and in his life. And so it's normal to look at those lists and say, I want to be like that. And, and if any of us looks at those lists and doesn't say, I, don't, I want to be like that, then, then you, you need to look at them and say you want to be like that anyway. I mean, everybody ought to aspire to meet these qualifications. Every Christian, and especially Christian men, ought to look at this and say, this is the kind of man that God would have me to be. But there are two things in those lists that not every Christian is called to be. One of those is a recent convert. If you have just recently come to faith in Christ, it is not a sin that you are a new believer. It's something to be rejoiced over, right? 
We don't look at a baby and say, how dare you be a baby? We say, this is great, right? Nobody's required already to have grown up in the faith, but a, an elder must be somebody who's not a recent convert. He doesn't necessarily have to be old. He doesn't have to be elder in the sense of being old. We know that because of 1 Timothy, where Paul tells Timothy, let no one look down upon you because you are young, Pastor Timothy, but instead set an example for the believers. But even though he doesn't have to be old, he must be mature in the faith. Another thing that's, that's different, that's required for elders, that's not required for every believer, and is not required for deacons either, is an elder must be able to teach. Now that doesn't mean that every elder is going to be expected to preach regularly, but it does mean that every elder can be somebody that the church could call on to deliver a faithful sermon. It includes the general ability to speak publicly and have coherent thoughts conveyed, but it also has the specific ability built into it to be able to teach God's word well, to to be skilled in the scriptures. Part of that is to be a regular reader personally of the Bible in a regular and systematic way. Part of that also is to be a regular reader of books, especially trustworthy Christian books. There are a lot of faithful men out there who watch a lot of YouTube sermons from faithful preachers, but a a man of the Word who is qualified to teach needs to be somebody who is in the Word himself and also in those great books that are going to help him to understand the Scriptures clearly to be able to articulate them to others. Another thing that he should have is, is it says that he must hold to the trustworthy Word as taught. Part of that is that he should have an understanding of doctrine that's thoroughly in line with the specific church that he's going to serve. Now you guys, most of you know who R.C. Sproul was. Fantastic preacher of the gospel. It would be very difficult for anyone to argue that R.C. Sproul was not a well-qualified elder. He was. But he was not someone who would have been qualified to be an elder of a Baptist church. His views on baptism would have put that off limits. It was appropriate for him to be in a Presbyterian church, but not a Baptist church. And so, by the way, now that he's in heaven, I I suspect he has changed his mind about baptism. (laughs) But all that to say that when we talk about being able to teach, that it's not just, hey, here's here's somebody who can command a room and get a thought across, but somebody who is a deep student of the Scriptures whose doctrine is well in line with the church that he's going to serve. Just a side note, by the way, can somebody preach from the pulpit who is not an elder? And the answer is yes. I hope that ought to be obvious, but I'll just read you the way that it's put by what I think are the wise uh, writers of the Second London Baptist Confession from 1677. It says, The work of preaching the word is not so peculiarly confined to pastors, but that others also gifted by the Holy Spirit for it may also and ought to perform it. And they give the example of Acts 11, where there are many at the church in Jerusalem who went about preaching the word boldly. Now, another thing, in addition to being spiritually qualified, somebody who would serve as an elder must be willing and must be able to do it. They have to have a desire to do it, a humble, sanctified desire Not a desire to say, boy, I want to be the guy who can put on my resume, my spiritual resume, that I ascended all the way up to the highest office, the office of elder. No, this is not a thing about pride. This this has to be a holy and sanctified desire. But is it possible for someone who seems to meet all of the spiritual qualifications to then say, I just don't think that that's something that God would have me to do? It's just not something that God has turned my heart to want to do. Is that possible? Absolutely. But there has to be a willingness to do it, as it says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Another thing that there has to be, together with those spiritual qualifications, is a providential ability to do it, right? It takes a little bit of time commitment. It takes effort. 
There has to be, you know, there are those who, because of the demands of combination of job, family, health, that they might be qualified, they might be willing, but there's just not the providential ability to do it. Great example, the week before last, I was up at the uh, pastor's conference at Trinity Baptist Church of Montville, New Jersey, and just a, a room full of godly, encouraging men. And in that room was Pastor Al Martin. If you don't know who Pastor Al Martin is, go to Google today and Google Al Martin, what is a Christian? And listen to that sermon and send it to everybody that you care about, all right? But Pastor Al Martin sitting there, faithful man of God, well qualified by the Holy Spirit, but at his age and in his health, He simply is not able to pastor any longer. And so there has to be a qualification, there has to be a desire, and there has to be a providential, God-given ability to do the task. Now, I've got to tell you guys, I have been praying that God would bring those three things together for those that we would call and recognize as a congregation to be elders in this church. And at this point... God has not granted that. We have at least two or three men who are definitely spiritually qualified. We have some who desire the office, some who would be able. But guys, we are still praying that God would bring all three of those together. And so even as we meet after church today, as we have this this meeting of how are we going to do this, how can we arrange our bylaws such that we can follow the word of God in seeking to appoint multiple elders... I've just got to tell you, um, even with all the paperwork done, it would be really foolish for us to say, we got the paperwork done, let's just put some men into this position because we got the paperwork done. We can't do that. God has to be the one who would qualify and call and put those men into place. And so please keep praying for that. Pray, Pray that where the spiritual qualifications are in place, that there might be a growing desire and that there might be a growing providential ability to do it. Pray that where there's a desire and ability, that God might provide the spiritual qualifications. Because, guys, we have to follow the leadership of God on these things. It has to be God's timing and God's Holy Spirit-qualified men to serve in these offices. Another thing that an elder must be is he must be recognized by the congregation. Just an example of this in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. This is one of the few places where we get a little bit more of an insight into what it looks like, the process for a congregation to appoint a biblical officer to the church. And so this was the first appointment of the first deacons in the first church in Acts chapter 6. And here is how Peter, as the representative of the apostles, says to do it. He says, Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. You see what it's saying there? He's saying, congregation, we're not going to just say to you, here are those that it will be. We're going to say to you, look and see. God is the one who qualifies and calls elders, so look around and see. Who is it that God would qualify and call to be in this position? And when God has done that, it's the responsibility of the congregation to recognize it and to put them into the position that God ultimately is the one who would put them into. They must be recognized by the congregation. And then finally, well, not finally, I'm skipping a bunch of stuff. I'm having mercy on you, all right? How is it, though? How is it that these elders are to lead? Well, look at verses 2 and 3, the second half of verse 2. He says that they are to shepherd the flock of God, exercise oversight, and then he says three ways. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And then he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's what he says here. 
First, that it's, this shouldn't be something that's done under compulsion, but willingly. Somebody who's not willing to serve as an elder shouldn't serve as an elder. Somebody who doesn't want to do it shouldn't do it. I will say that occasionally there are those who say that they don't want to do it because it is, they, they feel like it would be prideful or something like that. John Calvin is a great example of this. Anybody in here ever heard of John Calvin before? You may not know that before he became a pastor, he was just a scholar in his study. He had already written that great book, The Institutes of Christian Religion, before he ever showed up in the city of Geneva. And as he was traveling through Geneva, there was a man named William Farrell who said, Calvin, stay here. We need a pastor. You know what Calvin said? He said, no, I don't want to pastor. He basically said that he wanted to be in his study. Here's what, here's what Calvin said. After having learned that my heart was set upon devoting myself to private studies for which I wished to keep myself free from other pursuits, and finding that Farrell gained nothing by entreaties, he proceeded to utter an imprecation that God would curse my retirement and the tranquility of the studies which I sought if I should withdraw and refuse to give assistance. When the necessity was so urgent, and by this imprecation I was so stricken with terror that I desisted from the journey which I had undertaken. Now, I'm not saying, guys, I'm not going to curse anybody, all right? But it's interesting that he went from unwilling to willing by, uh, by the, the work of the Holy Spirit through another believer there. But great story, great story. But, guys, it has to be something that they would do willingly, not under compulsion. Second thing it says is not, sh- not for shameful gain, but eagerly. What does shameful gain mean? Well, you know what? If somebody really, really wanted to, they could approach the office of elder or the position of pastor as something that they could use to get a bunch of money out of people. The world is on guard against this all the time, right? Because there are those wolves out there who are out to feed themselves on the sheep. Most TV preachers fall into this category, and you can kind of tell that's why they got themselves onto TV, is because I can then use my position as a pastor for shameful gain. Well, guys, that must not be the reason for doing this. A pastor has to be somebody who knows how to put to death the love of money. He, he should never enter ministry because he sees it as a path to a steady income. And, and nobody should use the ministry as a path to enrich themselves. You know how you test this. If somebody speaks of ministry as though the goal were to get more impressive statistics for the church, that's a pretty good sign that his, ten, his heart tends to utter, or excuse me, tends to treasure earthly things over heavenly things. We ought not to be putting anybody into positions of eldership because they say, if I could just finally have leadership in this church, then we'd get the numbers up. Shameful gain, shameful gain, but instead, eagerly, eagerly. How do you know if somebody wants to shepherd eagerly? Well, it's usually because he's already started shepherding souls when there's nothing in it for him. When nobody has put him in a position, when nobody has given him recognition, that he's somebody who behind the scenes is already eager to get into the lives of his fellow believers and to help to lead them to the green pastures of the Word of God and be blessed. That's what it looks like. That is part of the spiritual qualification for an elder, is somebody who, even when there is nothing in it in terms of recognition or gain for themselves, that they delight to shepherd souls. That's eagerly and not for shameful gain. And then he says, not domineering, but being examples. Not domineering. Well, guys, you know what Jesus said that he came to shepherd like? How he came to lead? He didn't come to seize power. He didn't come to try to prove that he was higher, even though he was and is. He says in Matthew 20, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, 
even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know what Jesus did is he commissioned people, he commissioned those men, he commissioned those apostles to lovingly, sacrificially lead, not to domineer, not to try to prove their worth, but to serve, just like Jesus came. Aren't you so glad that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve? If Jesus came, if the point were, serve me first and then I'll do something for you, oh, we'd be doomed, literally. And he says this is, this is the model of leadership that he wants us to follow after, is to lovingly, self-sacrificially serve by being examples. He says not lording it over them, but being examples to the flock. So those who would serve as elders, as shepherds, should be those whose example we can follow, and not just those whose mouths speak of great things. All right. Um, I want to mention, before I get to the last point and the, the last verse that I want to read to you here, um, I, I want to just say something that I think I'm kind of like half thinking in my head as I preach. Did I say that thing wrong a minute ago? When I say that even if we get the paperwork into place, that we need to wait on God's timing for the elders, uh, I just want to be clear, we cannot move forward with a revised church constitution until God provides the elders, all right? We're not changing the constitution until God provides those godly men to step up into those positions of leadership. I just want to make that clear. I'm not talking about changing the constitution so that I can then seize the high position of power as the sole elder. I don't want that. Um, I, I, do, I just want to say, too, just as it says here, if you are... Uh, it, it, that, that elders should not be those who domineer over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. If you're looking for like a really, really high position of respect and power, you should probably leave for a more impressive church. Like, let's just be honest about that, all right? Um, but God hasn't called us to domineer. He's called us to serve and to love and to be examples to the flock of God. These shepherds are under-shepherds. This is the final point, point three. Under-shepherds of the chief shepherd. Look at verse four. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd appears. I started out talking about that, and I want to go back to that. Guys, Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the one who shepherds and cares for his flock. I am so glad about that. As a pastor, I am so glad about that. You know, I, 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 we have so many things going on as a church. I know you think, oh, it's just a small church. There's not a lot of going on. There's always a lot going on. And, and it can be difficult for me as your pastor to, to always know exactly what's going on in each of your lives and how best to shepherd you. But I just so, so much appreciate when I call somebody and I say, what's going on? How can I pray for you? And it's just so evident that the Lord Jesus has been your chief shepherd, that you've been walking with Jesus, that you've been abiding in his word, and he has been guiding you into all truth by his spirit. Thank God. Praise God for that. Go to Jesus as your chief shepherd and know that one day he's going to appear. And for those of you that God might call up into the position of elders, it says here, you will receive the unfading, unfading crown of glory. That's pretty neat. I'm not going to go into all the details of the different theories on the crowns or something like that, but that's just pretty neat. But I think the main call for us here is to say, let's look to Jesus, the chief shepherd who died for our sins, rose from the dead, and is coming in glory for us to rejoice in and to behold and to be changed because we will see him as he is. Under shepherds, is what we are as pastors. We're, we're not the chief shepherd. We are shepherds under the shepherd. You ever heard that term, under shepherds? That's what a pastor is. Jesus is the chief. We are under him. And just remember this, this one last thing. As it says in verse 5, likewise you who are younger be subject to the elders. That younger, I think, in, is just talking about in terms of spiritual maturity and looking to those that God would put into that position but he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And aren't you glad that Jesus is the ultimate humble? 
the ultimate glorious one who was also the ultimate humble one who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you are not under the shepherding of Jesus as your personal Savior, Lord, shepherd, treasure, know that he came and died for sinners just like you, those who were wandering far from him, and the free offer is open for you to come in, to hear his voice, to follow him, to come into his flock, to receive Jesus as your chief shepherd. Come to Jesus, be forgiven, have eternal life. And as us who are in Christ, let's not look at this whole thing as, boy, who's going to win the, the power competition? What a silly thing. Guys, we want to just faithfully follow Jesus. That's what we're here for. We want to honor and glorify, hear his voice, and follow what he says. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. It is so beautiful and faithful and true. Lord, I just thank you above all else for Jesus, the chief shepherd of our souls, who has come not to be served but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. I thank you that he is coming once again in glory and to defeat all of his enemies and to separate the sheep from the goats. And I pray that we be prepared for that day and, and, and receive his, his offer of free grace now while it's available. But God, I pray that you would help us as those who are in the kingdom, uh, Lord, to order things according to your design. Lord, we want to uphold the gospel as the most important thing as we look to Jesus above all else. But we don't want to neglect your commands. We, we don't want to pretend that these other things are unimportant. And so I pray that for our good and for your glory, that you would raise up those that would be qualified, willing, and able to serve as elders of this church. And I pray that you would pave the, the pathway for us to be able to recognize and appoint them. Lord, I pray that you would shepherd these precious saints as your sheep. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.